Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uncle Mark's Attic. Everyone is cordially invited to join co-host Zach and me, Uncle Mark, as we explore a variety of interesting topics from the fields of paranormal activities, conspiracy theories, unsolved mysteries and disappearances, and lots more. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Uncle Mark's Attic. Feel free to reach out to us and contact us with your questions and suggested topics. We would love to hear from you. So come on into the attic with us as we now go exploring and find out what mysteries we will discover today. Today's podcast is regarding triangular UFOs. The last episode, we did the government documentation on unidentified flying objects. And uh, one more thing before we get started with this episode. Um, some of these topics are a little bit meatier, um, and some of them are kind of short. So if you want to learn more about the topics that we briefly go over, um, we want you to go and do your own research. We, we encourage that you do your own research and um, come to your own conclusion. And um, that's all I have to say about that. We're going to get into the episode right now. Yes, the recent government report that was issued back on June 25th of 2021 regarding unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs, the term that's now used instead of UFOs for unidentified flying objects, uh, was an interesting report. We covered that in our first podcast, but prior to that report being issued by the government several months before, the Pentagon actually did, through a public uh, press conference, through a, a spokesman, uh, did confirm that there had been a number of uh, videos and encounters of those videos, uh, um, uh, videos of those encounters by uh, U.S. military pilots with unidentified aerial phenomena. One of the incidents did uh, reference a flying triangle object, a triangular unidentified aerial phenomena. So that's why we wanted to kind of focus in on that particular subset of unidentified flying objects or unidentified aerial phenomena the triangular UFOs. Um, we've talked about this a lot, Zach and I, over the last few months, but um, one of the things I had done some time ago was I did read there is one book that's been written on the subject, and the title of that is Triangular UFOs, An Estimate of the Situation by David Marler, and it's an excellent book. I've read it several times myself because there's a lot of material in here, a lot of actual reported incidents and cases, involving you know both commercial or military pilots as well as a lot of civilians. Um, it, it covers uh, quite a bit of detailed information, so we're going to try to give you a little bit of an overview of the book tonight, uh, just, just basic, some of the more interesting stories and, and reports that were made in the book, just to give you an idea of what these triangular UFOs are all about and how far back they go in history. This is not a recent phenomena, as the book makes very clear. We have reports of triangular craft flying in the sky, actually going all the way back into the late 1800s. But we're going to be focusing more on the modern period of uh, UFOs in this country and in the world at large. So um, the modern era of UFOs started around 1947 here in America. And the, first, the very first case we'll be referring to in a minute would be from 1949 here in the United States. So that's what we're trying to give you right now. It's just an overview of what these triangular UFOs are like and some of the uh, cases from all the way back starting in 1949 up through present time, what they, what they consist of. So, Zach, if you want to start with the very earliest 
So the very earliest um, incident, I guess you could call it, mm-hmm. we have is um, it's actually called Incident 398. Um, took place in Baltimore, Maryland, where a World War II Air Force vet observed three separate flights of V-shaped or triangular objects. Um, about 15 witnesses saw what looked like a black boomerang flying object, which demonstrated terrific rates of speed, reverse courses instantaneously. Um, the witnesses were interviewed by an Air Force officer. According to his report, the descriptions provided by all of the witnesses matched the primary witness, the World War II vet, the Air Force officer, described him as well, educated, and intelligent. So this this one, um, from what my understanding is, is these – it wasn't necessarily a flying triangle. It He did s- described it as more as like a boomerang uh, kind yeah, of – Yeah, boomerang or V-shaped, which gets often interchanged with yeah. the, word, the description of triangular. Yeah, you know. yeah, but – I feel like that would be so weird. I mean, obviously, it would look like a plane. I think I would think, in a sense, if it's if it's a boomerang shape, and it's in a, you know what I mean. I mean, you know how a boomerang looks. You would think maybe the two wings, but then again, you could also kind of see that as as a strange flying object because something like that isn't seen every day, especially if it's it's a very sharp kind of V. And planes, they have a a distinct look to them. I yes. Would say. I think it's interesting because he was, as you said, a World War II Air Force vet. Um, he was uh, actually, you know, initially saw uh, these objects um, right from the, you know, from his front porch, basically him and his wife, and then other witnesses, of course, in that area. Then also uh, were, you know, in taking note of this and watching it for quite some time. And you can see that there was an Air Force officer that actually came and interviewed these witnesses because it was considered important enough to be looked into officially by the Air Force. You don't have the well-known Air Force Project Blue Book at this point. Uh, at this point, 1949, it was um, Project Sign, I believe it was. Originally, it was Project Sign, then Project Grudge, and then <laughs> Project Blue Book starts in 1952. But this was an actual Air Force investigation at this point. You're only talking about four years after the, the end of World War II. And uh, we're already going into the period of the Cold War with the United States and Russia. So any kind of strange aerial phenomena was of interest, certainly for national security reasons, because the first thing coming into people's minds were, is that one of ours or is that from the Soviet Union? Is that, you know, is that an enemy or what is that exactly doing up there? So it, I, I thought it's an interesting case because it's one of the earliest ones in the modern UFO era that started in 1947. And it was multiple witnesses, and that's always a plus when you're looking at any kind of uh, visual sighting and reporting. You know, if it's one person, that's one thing. It's it's personal, you know, witnessing and personal evidence. But this does get elevated a little bit because there were so many people that were able to witness this and were able to be interviewed by the Air Force and did give similar descriptions, similar reports on it. And you would think, especially considering he was a World War II vet, he would definitely know what to be looking for. And, and with the technology during that time, uh, maybe that looked strange to him. And that's why he kind of reported it, as well as the 15 other people. I mean, it's not every day that you see a boomerang fly over your house, especially in that time. Not in the, yeah. This is, like I said, four years after the end of World War II. And he definitely made that clear that this was something he had not seen before. It was not something that he had ever witnessed during the war and during his time in the Air Force.
All right, so if you want to hop into this next... Uh, yeah, so that was 1949. The next case we thought we would just mention here now is from 1952. There was a NATO military exercise involving naval forces from nine different countries, including the United States. That was Operation Mainbrace. Uh, there were uh, several different sightings during this NATO military exercise. The one we really want to focus in on is the report by one of the Danish officers uh, from Denmark on one of their destroyers, and he made an official report of a flying luminous triangle. Uh, it was an official report, and it was definitely not something that he or anybody else in this task force was used to seeing. Again, this was 1952, so about seven years after the end of the Second World War. And then we're going to hop into... 1953, which is essentially along the same lines as the last one. Um, this one is in Albany, Georgia. A U.S. Air Force F-86 Sabre jet. The pilot reported a perfect triangle, which split into two triangles and then literally disappeared. So, here's my thought. The first one in 1949, he saw just the, the one flying triangle, right? right? So maybe it being a boomerang shape, the other one fits inside of it, and they can split into two. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And this is just one of a number of reports that will come in in, in future years after this incident where people did see these triangular objects split. That would be horrifying. More and more, yeah, I would <laughs> not be a happy camper there. But uh, so they definitely have seen this particular scenario in future years. This was witnessed by other people, so that's, that's I think, the earliest recorded example of that. But, yes, yeah, splitting into two triangles. It does make you wonder about what exactly these objects are, why they're able to do that on top of all the other stuff that they're doing. You know, the incredible speeds, being able to hover and all that yeah. sort of thing. So uh, there, there's, there's a lot there to think about. <laughs> uh, I had mentioned and, and made in the notes here that in 1953, the following year in Germany, there were uh, several... Incidents of triangles, three that were reported officially, and the total number of witnesses there were about 300 people. I like to mention that because, once again, this is definitely a multiple witness event or events uh, with multiple witnesses. That's always good because you have more people than just one person you know, reporting the sighting and more people that can be interviewed and more people that can provide detailed information about what exactly they saw. Same thing following that, 1957, four years later, right along the Illinois-Wisconsin border, there were three separate incidents of flying triangles reported that again involved multiple witnesses. Uh, there were newspaper articles about that one published. Yeah, with that one, um, especially being two different states mm -hmm. and, and right three incidents the in the same year, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a right very, same time, yeah. very mm -hmm. compelling. Right. So now we're going to hop into the 60s. Yes. September 17th, a newspaper article in the Hartford Courant, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. um, I guess this is the um, title of it. That's the headline. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, new saucer twist, flying triangle seen in state. So these witnesses saw a triangle, triangular UFO that hovered, then took off at a terrific speed. No noise. White lights at two points of the triangle. One blue light and another revolving red light in the center. I like that headline because there you're seeing the actual term flying triangle used. Yeah. That's in 1960, September 17th, 1960. Uh, so <laughs> it was definitely newsworthy enough for the newspaper to actually put this article in there with that rather interesting uh, title, New Saucer Twist Flying Triangle Scene. I like that very much. 
interesting case. Uh, and the few things to keep in mind here about this is that there's certain common things that were seen over and over again over the years with triangular UFOs or flying triangles. Uh, the white lights you're going to see a lot. The fact that there's no noise is almost a constant in almost every case. And then uh, the fact that they can hover motionlessly and then take off at incredible speeds. And, and that's in case after case after case. Uh, so that's why I like this particular story here, and I like bringing that one in because it starts to give us some of those key characteristics that we're going to see over and over and over again. Yeah, it's the no noise and the one blue light and the revolving red light in the center. It's like a almost like a UFO police police vehicle. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> <laughs> you could see it that way. Usually, you see like three white lights. You know, one at somewhere near the corner of you know yeah. in the triangle, each of the corners of the of the triangle, uh, and then you, you know very often it's a red light or an orange light in the kind of in the center, maybe a little bit back towards the back light, but. Yeah, this was an interesting one here because it still has some of those basic. It's the basic characteristics. Once again, you have three lights. Yeah, the one in the middle is the one that they abduct you from. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> However, there are some interesting things about those red lights we'll talk about in a few minutes because in some of the other cases because it seems that that red light often appears to witnesses to be detached from the actual structure of this triangular craft and that there are... Uh, I didn't go into it too much here with the list that we made, but... There have certainly been cases that I've read about where uh, smaller objects, smaller red objects, so to speak, are coming out of that red light that's pulsating on the bottom of the triangular craft. And then they go down in some sort of maneuvers to either, I don't know if they're doing observation or some kind of mapping or whatever it is, but there's certainly been uh, a number of cases where the red light has objects coming out of it. Um, the next case, we jump ahead now to 1972, this is um, a wave of triangular UFOs were spotted and reported in Belgium, in Europe. This is what I call the first wave of triangular UFOs because there'll be another much bigger wave some years in the, in, the, in the future. But this was the first big wave of triangular UFOs uh, I've seen reported from Europe, and it was in Belgium. One particular case involved a Belgian missionary priest and 44 girls who were on some sort of a retreat, you know, outside some sort of service. And uh, so you have 45 witnesses to a flying triangle, and that was for about five minutes. Once again, the reports that were made by these witnesses indicated those three bright lights again, the white lights, one towards the, you know, each of the three corners of the triangle. That one's odd. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's odd because they saw it for five minutes. Oh, yeah. And the other one's so far have have haven't really brought up how long that they've seen them they they said that they split into two and they disap they disappear um, right and the other one is no s uh no noise and the terrific speed so this one so far is is one of the more prominent ones yeah it's interesting the five minutes and there's been some incidents that happened later than that that they're actually being observed for even a longer period of time which if nothing else tells us one thing they're not exactly trying to hide themselves they're making themselves rather apparent, yeah. especially when they're flying at lower altitudes and letting themselves be seen you know, for periods of time yeah. by however many witnesses there are. So I don't see anything covert or top secret about these things because they're certainly making themselves obvious, and they're certainly not trying to hide or going by very quickly. Uh, in 1975, three years after that first wave of, Uf of uh, triangular UFOs in Belgium, we have the first U.S. A triangular UFO wave, and that took place in a region in southeastern uh, North Carolina. 
And again, most of the sightings there were described by the witnesses as being V-shaped or wedge-shaped UFOs, like a wedge of pie. Uh, and there were over 50 different observers uh, recorded in during these incidents. The UFOs were described as being the size of a car, and they would hover and then take off at like 200 miles per hour or more. Uh, they would make flat turns, which means when the vehicle would turn, it's not banking. You know how you can, when an airplane yeah, kind of yeah. banks? You were using the flight simulator <laughs> earlier. You know what I mean by banking. Uh, so they're making flat turns, uh, which airplanes do not normally make. And um, no noise as usual, and they had bright spotlights, especially at the front of the triangles. The first witnesses during this first USA triangular UFO wave down there in North Carolina are, were um, police officers, three police officers who reported a triangle with a row of lights going down each side of the triangle and then a big spotlight in the front. Now, this is an, a fun wave to look at and a fun series of incidents because some of the witnesses who were interviewed about these sightings uh, were in their cars they decided to try and communicate with the triangular UFOs so they would flash or blink their headlights off and on, and the triangles often responded by then blinking some of their lights in the same fashion, the same number of times. I think that's incredibly interesting because it certainly shows some intelligence behind whatever these craft are, whoever has made these, these flying triangular UFOs, it shows intelligence, and it even shows a little bit of almost humor, really, because mm -hmm. they're having some fun with these human beings that are, you know, turning off and on their headlights, trying to communicate, you know, make some kind of contact with these craft, and they did respond in like fashion. So I think that was very interesting, and that was our first American wave of triangular UFOs. Yeah, I think that's also funny, too, because the way I think of it is, like, when you're at like a, a four-way intersection with stop signs and you're like flashing your lights yes. and the other person flashes their lights for you to go, you know what I mean? It's really awkward and you don't know who's going to go. And you, you start to go and then they start to go and you don't want to get into an accident. So I thought that was that was pretty funny. That's a good point. <laughs> um, so the next one is in 1977, which takes place in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, four police officers and one highway patrolman witness a huge pyramid-shaped object 300 feet long. No noise, hovers, and then takes off at tremendous speed. So it is interesting because each of these ones that we've talked about have used a different word to mm -hmm. describe it. So like mm -hmm. the first one, boomerang, and then you got the flying triangles, and then you got the wedge, and this one says pyramid-shaped, mm -hmm. which is odd. I mean, obviously, they're in the same category. If right. I mean, they're all kind of considered triangles. Um. But again, the no noise and then takes off a tremendous speed. That is just something that I don't know that even now we're technologically capable of. That's the whole debate. When we go back to that report the government issued uh, about the unidentified aerial phenomena in June, and when you look at some of those videos that have been released, and they're all over the Internet, they've been all over the news, with the flying tic-tac, unidentified aerial phenomena they're flying, you know, they're going at hypersonic speeds at point, faster than the speed of sound, and that's very much a common description and in all of the reports that I've been reading over. Not in every single one of them, but in many of the reports, it's definitely, a, you know, you often hear about that incredible instantaneous acceleration from hovering motionlessly to just incredible speed yeah. instantaneously. No, you know, no time lag in between, you know, hovering motionlessly and then just taking off and traveling tremendous distances within seconds. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's a very common 
characteristic here. And then, of course, once again, the no noise. Usually, if something is flying at hypersonic speed, it's going to create a sonic boom. That's one of the things that came up in the UAP report that the government issued, that there are military pilots that were having these encounters and, and trying to intercept these unidentified aerial phenomena, these flying tic-tacs, as they were described at some points, although there's other shapes, too. There were acorn shapes, and there's flying triangles. Uh, they always mentioned that there was no sonic boom, no exhaust trail at all uh, from any of these vehicles. But if they're going hypersonic, they should be creating a sonic boom. That's just the way it works. Um, another thing is a 300 feet long. See, so when I see something like crazy or, or even I'm at work, I'm like, oh, I felt like I was there for 20 <laughs> hours. You know what I mean? It almost could be like an exaggeration almost. I mean, uh, in the essence of the moment, I mean, if you see something – especially of that magnitude, you know what I mean? You would almost exaggerate it. You know, that's what I would think I would do. I, I personally think I would be like, holy shit, like that is a 600 feet long. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, especially with the uh, the one that said they saw it for five minutes. You know what I mean? A lot of the times I'll see something or I'll do something. I'll be like, oh, I just exercised for 30 minutes when in reality I just exercised for <laughs> like two and a half. You know what I mean? So... 300 feet long is the size of a football field. Yeah, it is very big. And that is a very common description that has been used, especially with some of the more modern sightings from 2000 on, that they are the size of a football field. You know, 100 or 300 feet long, at least, and quite wide, too, several hundred feet wide. So these are not small craft. They're, they're very large, common characteristic, and they tend to fly at lower altitudes, which makes yeah. them much more easy to be seen, much more easier to kind of estimate at least the size of them. Many of them are below 1,000 feet in altitude, and then some cases we have them below 500 feet, even as far down as 100 feet, which violates all aviation safety regulations that we have in this country, let alone any other country. Uh, that's a threat to uh, civilian populations, to any you know anyone that might be in a populated area that has something like this flying over it. So they're not hiding themselves. They're big. Uh, they're technologically superior to anything that we know that we have, and they go back decades. So it's not a, you know it's not just something that started recently or started you know during the time period of that government report that only covered 2004 to 2021. Well, these things, as we've seen, have gone back to the late 40s and yeah. on. And there's these are just a couple of highlighted cases we're looking at. There's many, many more covered in the book that you can read about and in other sources as well besides the book, but. Um, just for purposes of the podcast, we're just kind of highlighting, you know, some of the ones that we think are interesting and have multiple witnesses, police officers, or some military uh, pilots too. Yeah, real quick, I just have like a little, little quick theory. So, what if? I mean, again, this is just a theory. So these are ext extraterrestrial, like aircraft, right? And they're from a different universe, different planet, whatever. Mm -hmm. So in their universe, three hundred feet long is like nothing. You know what I mean? They get here, they're like, oh my god were so big compared to everything else and they just are like all right whatever we're not even going to try and hide i mean cuz you can't hide something that's 300 feet long it's not like like you're hunting for an easter egg at easter it's, yes it's <laughs> definitely definitely way bigger and way harder to hide especially if you're flying over land masses at at such a low altitude yes that's no that's that's actually a very good point um the extraterrestrial hypothesis is, is just one, that, but it should be looked at. We've come to the point now in 2021, we, you know, we've got to do away with the ridicule factor uh, that's been around since, you know, certainly since the early 1950s when the CIA 
assembled a scientific panel to study the flying saucers. They changed the name to, you know, unidentified flying objects was supposed to be an improvement over the flying saucer term. But, you know, when you look back at that, that panel, the Robertson panel, it's really sad because, you know, the conclusions they came to and what they really pushed onto our government and onto our military was that, look, you know, we have to train people to not get scared about anything they see in the sky that they don't recognize right away. We have to try to educate them to understand better, you know, what's going on, what these things are. But for those that are going to report and, uh, you know, you know, inform authorities that they've seen flying saucers, they've seen some kind of UFO up there, you know, we have to use um, debunking. And we're going to use the media. We're going to use movies. We're going to use uh, newspapers. We're going to use... Um, television, which was, you know, pretty much in its infancy, but it was becoming bigger and bigger by then, 1952. And we're going to use these things to debunk and use ridicule. And that really became the policy in this country, which was really unfortunate. Ridicule these people. Don't, don't take an objective look at this. Don't try to scientifically analyze it. The object here is to let's contain this now. Too many people are getting obsessed with this whole flying saucer thing. That really was the mentality. And it was shown in the report from the Robertson panel 1952, you know, ridicule these things, debunk, put it down. It's Venus, it's, you know, Jupiter, it's swamp gas, it's whatever, it's a balloon. You know, do whatever you have to, but let's get people away from focusing on this because it's getting them paranoid. We were in the Cold War with Russia. It was a time of a lot of paranoia and a lot of fear about another world war breaking out between the United States and the Soviet Union. So it's a shame. We've got to get away from that whole mentality. It's been around up through the present and we really have to get away from that. So the extraterrestrial hypothesis you bring up, I think, should be treated with respect. It's one of a number of, of theories or hypotheses that have come up. But let's not just dismiss that one. And we're seeing more and more scientists stepping forward saying the same thing now. We talked about that in our first podcast. There's more and more scientists now stepping forward, and they're starting to launch their own independent investigations, independent of the government or military. They're looking into this on their own now because they think they've seen enough evidence, especially with those videos from the military pilots that were you know, released and have been all over the internet. Uh, it really got them wondering, because now they're seeing something that they can measure, that they can look at, you know, as uh, some of them have said, you know, this is something we can analyze now, and it's from the military. We know the source of these things, uh, these, these videos, so things are changing a little bit for the better, and I hope it keeps going that way, because that is, uh, I mean, as we go through some more of these cases, now you'll see, I mean, you do have to start wondering, like, are these things possibly man-made? Look at what we're already looking at, you know, through the years. And we're going back quite a few decades already. Um, you know, is it really man-made? Because there's been no official recognition by anyone that they've made these craft, including our country, our government, our military. There's been no official confirmation that they have created these things. So that's a good point. Uh, this, it's true. The size is definitely... In one, well, we'll talk about this a little later. There was, but there was an, another sighting of a much bigger uh, flying triangle in 1997. But anyway, th that case was good. With the uh, total of five law enforcement officers were involved in that 1977 uh, sighting down there in Tennessee. In 1978, uh, there was an incident in Vineland, New Jersey. Uh, there were six teenagers involved in this, and they definitely saw a flying triangle, triangle or a triangular UFO. Once again, no noise. There was a light in each corner of the triangle, and these are usually very bright white lights. Uh, these teenagers also decided to flash their headlights off and on, and the triangle did respond by doing the same exact thing with its lights. I think that's hilarious. Oh, your thing came off there. 
Um, I do think that's funny, but as, I mean, if you're in a car, especially with six other, well, five other people, um, and you're flashing your lights, I bet everyone in the car was going crazy. Like, oh my God, what is this that we're uh, yes. we're looking at here? Um, I know I'd be astonished. I would be. Uh, I'd like to think that I would be fascinated, but I know I'd be nervous <laughs> at the same time <laughs> because I, you know, I don't want them going beyond flashing lights at me. I don't want them to display anything yeah. else that they can do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So these events. Um, yeah, after the Vineland in 1983, you could talk a little bit about the Hudson Valley. This, yep. th- this made news in the country. I was, I remember all of this when it happened. So 1983 to 1986, the Hudson Valley, uh, New York Wave, the book Night Siege by Dr. J. Allen Hynek and two others, mm-hmm. uh, many witnesses in the hundreds of triangular objects, um, bigger than a football field, V-shaped right. boomerang objects. So again, it's the flying V um, and the boomerang which have been brought up before. And, and like I said, maybe maybe these split apart, and that's why it looks like a boomerang. And when they're fully together, it looks like a, a triangle. That's that's a very good idea, yeah. I wouldn't rule out anything because we just don't know. Yeah. I do know I love the Hudson Valley wave of triangular UFOs because there were just so many witnesses. And that's the witnesses who actually would come forward and speak. One of the things you find out as you read any of the really good books that have been written about the history of UFOs in this country is that so often, because of that ridicule factor we were talking about from 1952 on with the Robertson panel, um, a lot of people don't want to step. They don't want to be ridiculed. They don't want to be on the news. They didn't want to be, and certainly back then, didn't want to be interviewed or have their name associated in any way with flying saucers because they were fearful of being made fun of or their families, you know, suffering uh, ridicule and uh you know, nasty comments from people at school or at work or whatever. So I found it interesting. Many people did step forward. There were probably many more witnesses than this. But it took place over several years, as you said, 83 to 86. You're talking about the Hudson Valley, like Dutchess County, where you and I have gone when we were doing genealogy work, and um, and into Connecticut also as well, the Hudson Valley. So that part of New York there, going up the Hudson River away from New York City, and then uh, Connecticut as well. Uh, there was a, When you read the book, I do have... An, an old copy of it. I don't know if they can see that, Night Siege. Uh, there's a lot of great uh, reported stories in here and reported incidents. That it's worth reading if you have the time um, because I think it was very well researched. And Dr. Hynek, of course, was he was the preeminent scientist involved with UFO research back at that time and back from really from the uh, uh, 1950s on. So it's definitely a good book, and it's definitely worth looking into more details. But the point we want to make here is that there were multiple hundreds of witnesses to these very large V-shaped or boomerang-shaped or triangular-shaped UFOs flying over that Hudson Valley region during that time. And that leads to the next big wave of triangular UFOs, which was 1989 to 1991 in Belgium again. Here we are. That's, this is that second wave. We talked about the first wave back a while ago. Now we're talking about the second wave in Belgium. Uh, thousands of witnesses to these gliding, silent triangles that were going over their airspace. Uh, the military was watching this very closely from the very beginning. A lot of police officers were among the very earliest of the witnesses to these flying triangles. Uh, once again, they were accelerating at very high speeds after hovering or moving very slowly. That's another thing. They would often move very slow and then just take off at very high speeds, even if they weren't you know, hovering at that moment. So even the Belgian military made it clear that these things were displaying technological abilities well beyond the known capabilities of any other nation on Earth as far as they knew. Uh, 
the the fact that they could take off at speeds, you know, in a blink of an eye was just, with no noise, no sonic boom again, uh, was definitely something that was concerning them. Now, after seeing so many of these flying triangles and after having all of these thousands of witnesses that are, you know, calling the police stations or the military bases reporting these things, some of the people higher up in Belgian authority, both military and political, uh, were beginning to think, are these some sort of secret experimental aircraft being flown by the United States or maybe somebody else? So they did officially contact the United States to ask if are we flying <laughs> some sort of stealth experimental aircraft in their airspace, which would be a violation of our agreements, our treaties with Belgium as part of the NATO. We were all uh, members of NATO. Uh, so they did ask about that, and the United States did reply. We have some declassified documents on this that make it very clear. The United States replied they were not flying any type of experimental stealth aircraft, especially over populated areas in Belgium, but anywhere in Belgium. They made that very clear. We're not responsible for this. There were over 2,000 reported sightings or cases of these flying triangles in Belgium during that period of 1989 to 1991, and over 500 of them remained unexplained up to the present time. Um, most of the sightings were triangular craft, not all of them, uh, and it, there were times where at two different locations flying triangular crafts would be reported to authorities at the same time, so there seems to have been more than just one flying triangular craft that was going over Belgian space during this wave. A number of witnesses reported that at times they would see the craft kind of tilt a bit and that enabled them to see on the top of the craft there was actually uh, some sort of a dome. And even some of them said the dome seemed to have had some windows in them. An interesting thing about these is that um, the records show that none of the witnesses in Belgium were reporting any kind of electromagnetic effects, like the car radios are going off, you know, or obviously the headlights weren't going off because some of the people over there were also flashing their headlights at these flying triangles. And once again, the triangles were flashing their lights right back at them. So um, another key thing that the Belgian military in particular stressed was, despite all of these reports, the 2,000 reported sightings that they had and investigated, uh, there was never any hostility shown by any of these triangular UFOs, and that's important because that's another consistent characteristic that you can really look at starting all the way back in 1949 and up through the present times. We haven't, thank God, seen any indication of hostility from any of these craft. Whoever's making them, whoever's flying them, at least so far there's been no uh, hostility shown. So that's a very interesting case. Uh, the same characteristics we've talked about before we're seeing in, these, in this Belgian UFO wave Slow speeds, they're, they're like gliding. Um, sometimes people would say, uh, you know, at the speed of a blimp, basically. And then all of a sudden, they just take off instantaneously at an incredible acceleration. They had the spotlights on them, you know, the three white lights again, those bright lights at each of the corners, or not right on the corner, but, you know, going towards the corner of each of the triangles. And then once again, that pulsating red light, kind of in the middle on the bottom of it, but appearing to be not really attached by those witnesses that had really close... Uh, encounters with these things and could see them very, uh, very clearly. Um, sometimes the Belgian military were able to get uh, radar tracings on some of these, and the radar tracings did show that there was extraordinary speed being used by these things. The Belgian Air Force did launch F-16 fighter jets several times to try and intercept them. They were never able to do that, and they were never able to really make visual contact with any of these flying triangles. So the official... To this day, the official determination by the Belgian military, the Belgian Air Force in particular, was 
they could not determine the origin of these objects. Um, one thing that I want to bring up quick that I actually brought up last episode um, is these objects are are obviously starting from a standstill-ish position or like a hovering position. And then a lot of these reports say that they take off at extreme speeds or 200 miles per hour. And the amount of G-force that like a, a someone piloting that would have to go through is something that none nobody could endure. That's right. So... That's why a lot of people think that they're unmanned. But right. then again, with the extraterrestrial theory, um, if they're from a different planet, obviously there's different, I guess you could call them laws of gravity. Um, yes. That mm-hmm. would probably be the correct term for that. Um, and they could withstand these these high forces of, of Gs that we, we can't. That's right. That's a point that's often been brought up. And it's still being debated by a lot of people right now as we speak. Because we just don't know. But yes, and when these craft accelerate, they can be far in ex- excess of 200 miles per hour. Sometimes it's thousands of miles per hour. But yes, that's and that was one of the problems with the UAPs and the government report that came out in June. I mean, when they're going at a hypersonic speed like that and then you know, b- being able to drop from so many thousand feet up in the air down to the ocean and then you know, back up within seconds, uh, yes, uh, everyone that looks at those would say, no, no human being is going to be able to you know, yeah. stand that. And that's a good point. Are there... Uh, robotic operators of these things? Or, uh, really, I don't know. Like an RC car almost, or like an RC helicopter? Exactly. I couldn't even imagine how long it takes to to even master using one of those, if that is the case. Like yeah. Almost like flying a, like a, a regular like DJI drone. Like I feel like those are kind of hard to fly, too. Right. But even... Imagine yeah. like an RC controller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our Good next... Point. Our next... Um, happening is in 1995 Mm -hmm. um it's in great britain uh the british airways flight 5061 a boeing 737 60 passengers uh, the pilot reported a silver gray wedged shape object which streaked right past them just to the right of the plane a near miss Mm -hmm. the triangular object made yes no sound no sound (laughs) the official investigation conclusion conclusion is unresolved so again unidentified flying object is what it would fall into the category of um but this is um scary especially if you were one of the 60 passengers imagine looking at your window and be like oh this is a nice sunset view and all of a sudden a a wedge-shaped object almost crushes you mm -hmm, triangular it came at them from the front Oh, when so I read the report, so it's actually coming at them from the so front. The pi- oh my God. It happened I very quickly, and it was a very scary incident for the pilot and co-pilot. I they made that imagine. very clear. Yeah, and this was investigated very thoroughly by the British version of our FAA, our Federal Aviation Administration. It's their CAA. So they did a very thorough job on this, but, um, and the pilots even uh, drew illustrations of exactly what this thing looked like. It happened so quickly, but they did get a look at it, pretty good look at it, but... The scary thing was, it is a near miss incident, as they as they term them. I mean, yeah. Uh, and it was 1995. It, it's just um, it. That's the part that scares me. I know they've shown no hostility and all that, but I don't like the idea of near misses. And that government report again that we were talking about that was issued back in June, on June 25th, uh, listed a number of near miss incidents that had been reported by our military pilots with the various unidentified aerial phenomena they had encountered when they were up in the air, uh, whether they were the flying tic-tac, 
so-called tic-tac UFOs, or if they were, you know, the acorn-shaped ones or whatever. But there were a number of incidents of near misses, and that's a uh, that's definitely a matter not only of national security, but for any airline. This was a commercial airline flying passengers. You know, it's a matter of aviation safety. It's one of the reasons this thing really has to be looked at very carefully, and we can't dismiss anything right now because we don't know what they are, but we don't want... God forbid some tragedy to happen. This yeah. was definitely a near tragedy of a commercial airline. The government report was referring to strictly military near miss encounters by some of our pilots. How do you even describe that? Because I mean, I know a lot of the the planes have autopilot, so maybe they were an autopilot, but almost like a car wreck, like when you're trying to swerve, not hit like a deer or even another car. You know what I mean? You jerk the wheel, or maybe they jerk the plane. Yeah, I mean. Uh, they go over the intercom. Uh, sh- sorry, we almost just got crushed <laughs> by a flying triangle. Um, fasten your seatbelts. Uh, we're gonna land in X amount of time. Uh, we're that is scary. You know yeah. what I mean? You can't pass that off as turbulence. I'm sure that probably didn't happen. I mean, what can you do? Cover your eyes and your you know yeah. I mean? Oh, it's coming right at you. So it happened so quickly, and yeah. that was the thing that the pilots both stressed. It was so quick, but. They definitely could see it. Yeah. It was definitely a solid object. It was a flying train. Turns out it's just a bird. wedge-shaped object, as they say, you know, wedge like a pie wedge. No, it was no bird. (laughs) It was not a bird, not at that speed, and not the metallic appearance that it had that they reported, so. All right, you want to hop into this Yeah, from uh, that incident in 1995 with the uh, British Airways uh, plane, I, I think this is one of the most interesting things that, I think you can read about and think about from the whole triangular UFO history. And this is the, uh, and it's rather famous. It happened in January 5th of 2000. We had uh, multiple witnesses to a flying triangular craft in Illinois. And it starts with a man who was a truck driver, I believe, in Highland, Illinois, who, uh, which is about 24 miles east of St. Louis. It was around four o'clock in the morning he spotted what he described as a two-story house flying in the sky, the size of a football field, but it was rectangular from his, you know, from his point of view, with bright white lights radiating out on the sides and no sound. He reported that to the Highland, Illinois Police Department in person, and that started a whole chain of events that's going to involve sightings of this craft by four different police officers from four different towns in the state of Illinois. And this is January 5th, 2000. You can take the first case there. All right. Officer. So the first officer uh, was from the Lebanon Police Department. He saw a massive, narrow, elongated triangle, 75 feet long, 40 feet wide, bright white lights at each point. They did not light up the ground. Right. One smaller flashing red light in the middle of the bottom, closer to the two white lights in the rear. It blotted out the stars, a solid craft, a thousand feet up, no noise. It rotated, pivoted in midair without any tilting, mm-hmm. and it stayed level. So that um, is, again, because the first first little part here, I think it said it was two stories. I mean, 75 feet long is kind of big, and 40 feet wide, that is. Yeah, that was the... Uh the truck driver, the civilian witness, you know, the initial witness that started this whole thing going. And he did the right thing. He went to the police department. He was felt strong enough about it that he actually physically went there to report this. He was very concerned about it because, uh, well, first off, because of the size of it. 
and the, the strangeness of it. And as you just said with this police officer here, you, I mean, when you read his report, it blotted out the stars. It's a solid object, and it's a large object, obviously. Um, and it's not that far up. I mean, 1,000 feet again. Once again, they're not exactly hiding themselves. Now, the second police officer then, so the craft continues to move on from that area. Now it goes to the, it, it's uh, picked up by the Shiloh Police Department. And that officer reported three bright lights. But again, they weren't illuminating. Did you read this part? Not illuminating the ground? Oh, yeah. That was from the first one. From though. the first one, yeah. right? So here we see that, that thing again. There are bright white lights. They come down so far, but they're not necessarily, you know, spotlighting the ground itself. I, I find that interesting because that's been in a lot of cases. Um, 100,000 feet altitude. He described it as an extra wide triangle, solid. But he made a point of saying the bottom was not smooth. So you can, he can see this object. He can see the bottom clearly. And he described it as looking at something that had been put together, like girders, pieces, you know what I mean? Something yeah. that had been built. It's not, uh, you know, it's not smooth. And uh, no sound again. And at that point, it was going about estimated 15 miles per hour. And then it instantly re relocated itself within seconds at an incredible speed. Uh, real quick, I just want to, you said 100,000, it's it's 1,000. Oh, I'm sorry, 1,000 no, feet altitude, just, I'm sorry. just wanted to clarify to anyone kind of thinking, yeah. the last one was 1,000, this one is 100,000. 100,000 is Yeah, that, very, would be, that would be a bit high, yeah. I don't think I would see it then. All right, so this third um, third officer from the Milstadt Police Department That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, saw a large triangular object, 500 to 1,000 feet in altitude, uh, slow moving, and he said that it had a low decibel buzzing sound. Again, the three white lights on the bottom plus a single red light. Uh, he got a Polaroid camera out of his trunk. It was 15 to 20 degrees out that morning. He got one photo, not good quality. You can see a few blurry lights and the black background. So if we can find this picture, uh, I want to put it up or for the people who are listening on yes. Spotify or whatever. I'll post it on our social medias or I'll do a link or something. But... Um, like I said, if we can find this, that'd be great. We could put it up. I haven't seen this picture. I, I have, yeah. You can see um, the officer had that Polaroid camera in his trunk because they used it at that time. This is the year 2000, you know, for traffic accidents sometimes, things like that for some quick photos. So it's a Polaroid camera. The object was moving away from him when he tried to take that photo. And it was very cold that morning because remember now we're after, yeah. we're after yep. 4 o'clock in the morning at this point. And so he didn't expect, but at least he thought he would take make the effort to at least try and get a photo if he could, see what he could catch. So you can see the lights, but yeah, it's not the clearest photo, but it's out there. You can you can definitely we can definitely bring that up. Uh, but I do credit him for at least trying, and that's why he had that camera with yeah. him. There was no cell phones or <laughs> no cell phone cameras at that point that he could have used. And then the last officer from the Dupo Police Department, uh, he had observed the triangular craft through binoculars it was a high altitude by that point i'm not sure exactly you know, i don't know if he could estimate it exactly but one you could clearly see the white lights at the extreme ends and that infamous red light in the middle of the bottom of the flying triangular ufo the object appeared to travel at one point about 10 miles in two to three seconds which would be about 12,000 miles per hour which is just incredible, and there was no sonic boom witnessed by anybody, any of the officers or anybody else. Yeah, they certainly would have heard that on the ground if there had been a sonic boom. It does bring up one question for me that first witness described very clearly to the police uh, a rectangular object. Was that because of the, you know, the viewpoint that he had? Because the officers are pretty much describing what's clearly a triangular object 
was this the same object, which we assume it was because of the, the close proximity of all these sightings, um, but did it change shape, shape somehow? I mean, I don't know. That's, that's an unsolved question there. And it, this is not the only case where there have been rectangular objects seen at the same time that there have been triangular objects that have also been observed in the sky. Yeah, so I mean, if it, it's, he's saying that it's so big, and if you see it from a certain angle, maybe if it's so like thick and so long and wide or whatever, I think maybe then it would look like a... I mean, if you're farther away and you can only see just the side of it... Exactly. That's the only really... Right. Because there is length and width to these craft, yeah, but there's height as well. Yeah. Um, but that was his report. But they, you know, the officers clearly were watching the same flying object, this triangular object that they all described, and they all made reports on. The official police reports were made on all of these. An interesting thing is about this whole incident in January 5th of 2000. Um, you're talking about a triangular flying object within one to two miles of the Scott Air Force Base there in that section of Illinois. Now, Scott Air Force Base, of course, was contacted regarding this because this was a UFO, and the uh, spokesman for the Air Force Base at that time stated that, uh, first off, their base radar was not operational at that time. Uh, they certainly weren't flying any planes themselves at that time from Scott Air Force Base, and they had not received any calls or received any reports about this object themselves until they were contacted yeah. by people about it after the fact. So you can take that for what it's worth. It's kind of coincidental, I think, that the base radar was not operational at, at that time when this thing was you know, flying within one to two miles of an Air Force it Base. It almost, almost seems like that's always the case. Once again, I think you know, that's still 2000. Yeah. This recent report from the government from June 25th, you know, this is the first time we have actually had something coming from the United States government and from our military and intelligence agencies. They're all, they all collaborated on that report. Um, this is the first time, really, where you have them admitting, like, yes, we've had our own military personnel encounter these solid objects. They are real. For the most part, the, the, the report that they issued to the United States Congress says that they are basically, they do believe they're real. Not sure exactly what they were, but... Uh, that's the first time you don't see that ridicule factor coming in or that brushing it off or oh, here they go again. Crazy people watching, you know, flying saucers yeah. in space. And so that's kind of a step forward, at least at this point. But yeah, back in 2000, that, that doesn't surprise me at all, that you really weren't getting any kind of cooperation or even, you would think, basic interest from members of, yeah. the, of the Air Force Base there about an object that flew so close to United States Air Force Base because that would be restricted Air Force, uh, restricted airspace. And that would be a violation, again, that would be of national security concerns, I would think, being so close to one of our own military bases. I think they're trained to just kind of let these objects kind of just go and not, not even bat an eye at them. Up until, yeah, up until now, really, up until that recent report, I mean, now we have promises that they're going to do a much better job of collecting information from military personnel who report it. There's not going to be this ridicule. So, I mean, but back then in 2000, that was still the very much that overwhelming, prevalent, pervasive, uh, you know, culture that we had in the country, and especially with uh, the government, whether it be the military or civilian, uh, the FAA or whatever, everybody was having that uh, debunking, ridiculing mm -hmm. uh, proposal that had come out of that Robertson panel from the CIA all the way back in 1952. It was still pervasive then, so it's kind of sad, but it is what it is. We have to do the best we can with what we can find out on our own. All right, so now we're going to go through the uh, profile of the triangular UFOs. Um, so here's here's a uh, kind of a short list. Mm -hmm. um, they're large. They can hover. 
make flat turns. They are silent, slow moving, usually fly at low altitudes. Um, they have bright lights. Uh, they can make sharp turns at high speeds, and they emit beams of light. Yeah, those are just basic uh, characteristics, like you said, a profile based on a large number of triangular UFO reports that have been collected over the years. And uh, David Marler in his book does point all these out. There's a lot more cases in the book than these ones that we highlighted today. But these are just general characteristics that you seem to see over and over and over again. Maybe not every single one of those characteristics you just listed, but most of them. I mean, you can see... uh, how many times did we read the reports just now? You know, no noise at all. Yep. They definitely hover, and they hover motionlessly. In some cases, actually, Zach, I was reading too, in some of the cases where the triangular craft would actually go into a vertical position and stay motionless. It's hovering in a vertical <laughs> position. Um, I, uh, you know, one of the things you want to point out right away is we don't really seem to have any military aircraft that we know of whether United States or any other country, that can perform such an incredible... It's doing a wheelie. Yeah, aeronautical feat there. (laughs) I mean, it's it's doing a wheelie. It's just, you know, that's incredible. Uh, And I, again, stress, you know, the slow moving, they're not exactly speeding by so that they won't really, no one would get a good look at them. Uh, The low altitude, the slow moving, the bright lights, which certainly will bring attention to you when you're, uh, you know, uh, emitting uh, very bright beams of light from a craft. And those sharp turns at high speed, these these are all things that have, and the size of them, the fact that many of them are described as the size of a football field or even larger. One of the cases we didn't talk about here, because we might do a whole separate podcast on that, I'm thinking, but those are the Phoenix Lights, the famous Phoenix uh, Lights incident from 1997 in Arizona. Now, the former governor of Arizona, I'll just mention this right now in passing, but it is, you know, he described, and he didn't want to come forward with this at first, he kind of downplayed the whole thing when he was governor because he seemed to be concerned with public you know, the public staying calm and trying to keep down any kind of hysteria or paranoia. But he did admit later that he himself had witnessed a uh, triangular craft that was about a mile wide, according to his. So far larger than any of these yeah. things we've been talking about right now. We've been talking about football field size. But imagine that about, the, 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 you know, the width of a mile, uh, Governor Fife Symington. So um, that's an incredible size when you think about that. That's going to be something that's hard to... And it was a solid object, as he said. It was blotting out yeah. the stars. That's important to say. It's not like some, you know, I don't know, series of Chinese lanterns or, you know, balloons or whatever it is that are up there in the air. It, it was made it very clear it was a solid object. But he didn't want to talk about it at the time because he was the governor, and he didn't want to add anything to what he thought was becoming a historical atmosphere. But maybe we'll look at that as just a separate podcast because that's, yeah. that's a pretty interesting... Uh, that's a very interesting case. That was a very interesting story that came out. But anyway, yes, yeah, so usually these triangular UFOs have the three large circular uh, lights, usually white, but we did see some descriptions of blue, or but usually, but, but usually white, uh, towards the uh, each of the points, the three points of the triangular craft, and then that central red or orange light that seems to not even be attached at the bottom, but it's generally there, suspended, you know, right there yeah. off the bottom of the of the craft itself. Many witnesses, uh, and we've s- talked about some of these cases, uh, with the cases that we showed today, they s- have the superstructure with the bottom resembling pipes and girders. It sounds yeah. very metallic, something constructed. Uh, sometimes, and this is interesting, there were a number of cases that I've read in, in, in David's book uh, where you had the flying triangle, you know, you have a base, and then you have, you know, the, the two sides coming up. It's flying with the base forward first, which yeah. is completely contrary <laughs> to anything that anyone will tell you from, from the... <laughs> 
you know, the aviation industry, that's not the way you would think that a, a craft like that is going to, you know, usually you would have the pointed end is going first. Yeah. Here, and there was a number of cases where they were definitely reported clearly seen with the base at the front, you know, flying forward, and the points are at the back of the plane, the, the opposite of what you would expect. Almost always no sonic boom despite the hypersonic, faster than this, you know, speed of sound, uh, speeds that are going on, and then that absence of exhaust trails, which also should normally be visible with a hypersonic craft. There should be some sort of sonic boom, number yeah. one, which is very loud, and then the absence of the exhaust trail. So that's pretty interesting, and those are general uh, characteristics, generally seen factors of all of these um, triangular UFOs that have been investigated and reported on or in newspapers or, you know, reported to the police or whatever, so... And that leads us to the question then of, okay, so we've gone through some interesting cases and we've looked at some pretty interesting uh, dynamics with these aircraft, you know, whatever these unidentified flying triangular UFOs are. But uh, there are some theories out there about, well, what are these things? And I think the biggest one you're going to see, you're going to see it on the Internet, you're going to see it all over, is that these are basically secret experimental U.S. military craft that they're flying and they're testing these things out and certainly we've had some people that you know worked either in the military or worked in the uh, aerospace industry that that work on work for companies that you know do develop design and construct military craft for our country Uh, we've had some people that have said well yeah there were times that we've definitely been working on some triangular shaped craft we've been you know we tried but generally when you read their reports for the most part they're saying but we didn't quite succeed other than a few craft, uh, like you can talk about now, the B-2 stealth bomber or the that uh, F-17A fighter, you can if you want to talk about that. Uh, yeah, so we have the B-2 stealth bomber and the F-117. I don't know how, how you, That's okay. how you yeah. say that. Um, a fighter jet, flying wings, but very noisy, and the triangles are usually described as being much larger than that uh, and these mm-hmm. military crafts. Um and and these are all things that we want you to to think about. They're like essentially questions or just just things in general that we want you to think about. And um, we want you to get back to us and leave us feedback what you think. Um, and yeah, that's really all I have to say about about that. Um, if you want to go to the next thing or yeah, uh, th- the thing is, um, I would hope that if it's possible that our nation our military would be able to develop successful flying triangular craft if they're going to be of benefit to our country and on behalf of our national security. That would be a great thing. And that would be normally, to me, almost the, the first logical thing I would think of if I was, uh, you know, someone who's never read about UFOs to the level that I have or, you know, has never done the, you know, the, the research into them that I have. But, you know, I think the first thing I would think is like, yeah, it's probably some kind of one of ours. It's, you know, it's something we're flying around. We're testing it right now that it's, you know, it's it's something that we're working on. It's not from anywhere else. There's not a big mystery to it. And there are people out there on the internet uh, and in the podcast and all that that are pushing this whole idea of, look, everybody, stop being silly. These are just secret experimental United States aircraft that we've been working on. And in particular, they'll talk about the Aurora aircraft or the uh, the infamous, as I call them, uh, the TR-3A and the TR-3B craft that, you know, there's a whole lot of information out there um, on the internet uh, about this particular theory. I have a problem with it, though. I have to step back. 
logically, I would think that would be a very good explanation of what these triangular UFOs are, but I have a couple problems. Number one, we just reviewed a whole number of cases. Just going back to 1949. Now, have we been trying to build these triangular crafts, these secret classified triangular crafts since 1949? I, I, I don't think that's very logical thinking right there. It's not logical reasoning for me that we've been building them for that long. Like I said, certainly in the 1990s, we had people that did say that we were working on some craft, you know, and we do have things like the flying wings that you mentioned there, the B-2 stealth bomber and all that, but uh, would secret U.S. military experimental craft be the explanation for the sightings in 1949, 1950s, the 1960s, uh, the Belgian wave, say, in, you know, in 1989, 1990, 91, the, the Hudson Valley sightings? that we mentioned in 1983 to 86, were, were all of these some secret U.S. military experimental craft? Were they these TR-38s and these TR-3Bs that so many people out there on the Internet are saying, like, oh, well, that's the explanation for these things, guys. I, I, I just don't buy it now. I, I, I hope that we can develop some great technology as time goes by, but I don't buy it. And it's for a couple reasons. One of the things that bothers me, there's, a, there's some websites that I've looked at out there, and they'll, they'll tell you all about the TR-3B classified top-secret military aircraft that's that's supposed to be all of these flying triangles that people have been reporting for decades. And then if you look on these sites, they have some great graphics. And they, they have total schematics of these craft. They show you everything. They show you the propulsion system, <laughs> the exhaust. They show you everything. But, and I'm thinking to myself, guys, if these are top-secret and classified, how, where did you get all this information? And it's no longer top-secret or classified, is it? You're, it's all over the Internet. You've got all these great graphics. You're showing us everything about these top-secret craft. I can't help but think they're not top-secret or classified, guys. I mean, where did you get this information? And then you have some people that are willing to come forward with, you know, with some of these sites that say, well, uh, we were secretly working on these things when we were in the military or we were in some private company that was you know, designing these craft. To which I say, well, the United States government has never officially announced that they actually have anything like these flying triangular UFOs, this TR-3B or this TR-3A that you're always talking about. The government has never, ever admitted that they have these. So are you leaking classified information? In that case, I think that you should be arrested for violating your secrecy oath. So the, the whole thing that they're pushing, it sounds good at first, especially if you're not used to the you know, knowledgeable about the whole history of UFOs and the whole UFO culture that developed in this country from 1947 on. But I think that as good as it sounds, it's almost that these things are mythological. It's a nice attempt, guys, at explaining things, but I just don't buy it. I, I, I really don't. You, I just love those schematics that you know all this information, but it's top secret and it's classified. Shh, don't tell. But you've got it all. You've got it on your website. You're showing us everything. I mean, you you show it. I, some of those things are unbelievable. The detailed information they show. You know, they're pointing to you all the different parts of the plane and telling you what this is and the anti gravity this and the plasma thing this and the plasma energy. And I'm thinking, there's nothing classified or secret. You're blabbing it all over the whole world here. You can see this thing. So, I don't quite understand that. And the other thing is, um, if, if the United States military actually had these incredible craft, these incredible, let's just look at the triangular UFOs like we're looking at in this podcast, with the incredible technological abilities that they've displayed, the speeds, the flat turns, the motionless hovering, the instantaneous acceleration, which we've never seen any of our, of our military craft able to do, the craft that we know about, military aircraft that, we, you know, that we're aware of, we've never seen that. If the United States actually had these craft 
And if these craft were actually responsible for the wave of triangular UFO sightings over Belgium back in 1989 through 91 or Hudson Valley in 1983 to 86, how long do we plan on keeping them secret? How long do they stay classified? What good are these incredible aircraft if we don't use them? All they do with them is fly them around at low altitude in violation of FAA, you know, aviation security regulations here, and safety regulations, really, over populated centers and all of that. You're certainly not keeping them very secret or classified by bright white spotlights and bright white lights coming down and, and blinking lights at, at people in their cars. And So are you saying that we've had these secret aircraft for decades? the Belgian UFO wave site, the, the Hudson Valley uh, UFO wave site, these triangles, and that's all we do with them is we kind of fly them around at night and spook police officers and scare farm animals, I guess, and, and, and blink lights at people that are trying to communicate with them. I've read uh, interviews with some retired generals and admirals who have said, my God, if we actually had this technology, if we had these aircraft, these triangular unidentified flying objects that we're seeing, why weren't they used in the Persian Gulf War, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in support of our own United States military personnel? That's criminal if we had these things and we're not using them on behalf of our own soldiers and sailors and airmen. So I find this whole thing about it's top secret classified U.S. stuff, I just don't see the evidence for it. And I think that kind of flies in the face of all the information that we've been sharing with everyone tonight. These things have been seen for decades. They've been reported not just in the United States, but all around the world. There's, you know, they're at just about every continent, except for maybe Antarctica I haven't read about. But otherwise, these triangular UFOs have been seen, and they've been seen for decades. So if this is some secret aircraft that we came up with, boy, did we waste our money. We've done nothing with it. We've done absolutely nothing with it, except for, like I said, fly around at night and do crazy things with it and expose it to anybody that wants to watch it for 5, 10, 15 minutes at a time. I, I just think that that, that whole... Theory is bogus. I just can't see any logical reasoning behind any of it. It flies in the face of all the reports and all the information and all these sightings that have happening for years. If we have that, we should be using that on behalf of our own U.S. military personnel. That, that's just my thought about that theory there. And that's the biggest theory about them. Because once you get away from the, the whole military thing, it's either, so is it, if, it's not, if it's not an American secret, whatever, is it some other country's secret? And again, they've never shown hostility in any of the incidents, in any of the reports, no hostility, no violence really, you know, being shown. Nobody else has used that in any of the other wars that have been taking place over the last so many decades since the end of World War II. Yep. So I think same thing applies to the idea or the theory that, well, maybe they're secret craft from some other country. Well, then they're not doing very much with it either. It's an awful lot of money must have been spent on such incredible technology if you stop and think about it, I mean, if we really had these flying triangular UFO craft, they, were, they are our secret, you know, top secret classified uh, aircraft, um, it would revolutionize warfare, number one. But number two, look at, what the, look at the descriptions that we've read from just the handful of reports that we were talking about. Look at the incredible technological abilities that these things display. If anyone on planet Earth was able to actually design and build and successfully fly these type of triangular UFOs, it would revolutionize the aviation industry as well. But I haven't seen that in the aviation industry. <laughs> we have decades of reports. So the whole thing about these being man-made somewhere on Earth, whether it's the United States or some other country, I just find that a very hard 
theory and argument to accept. I've thought about it a lot. I've read everything I can. I've gone and looked on those websites and all that, but it flies in the face of logic. It just flies in the face of logic. This thing's been around. These have been around for decades. How long would you keep it top secret and classified and not do anything practical with it? I agree with you. I, I loved everything you just said. Um, and the only thing I'm really going to say about this is if you broke your secrecy oath, <laughs> Mark's going to come to your house, he's going to knock down your door, and he's going to make a citizen's arrest is what he's going to do. I will gladly do that. So if you broke your secrecy oath, beware, because Mark <laughs> is on his way. That's right. Uncle Mark is going to bitch slap you. <laughs> oh, excuse my language. <laughs> All right. We're going to hop into the conclusion now. Um, so to conclude everything that we just talked about, mm-hmm. um, they are triangular UFOs are a subset of uh, all the UFOs, right. which would be the acorn and mm-hmm. and the cigar-shaped and all the other ones. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, there are worldwide sightings. You can't deny that. I mean, as we, we talked about, Belgium, Germany, all over the United States. Mm-hmm. South America, Africa. Yep. They've been seen in just about every continent. Uh, they appear to defy physics as we know it since 1949, mm-hmm. which, again, 1949, we were not technologically advanced really at all. I mean... To even think that there would be something like that back back then is crazy to me. I don't think right. that anybody would have something like that then, let alone now if they're actually owned by uh, a country or, or whatever you want to say. Right. Um, <clears throat> there are m- uh, numerous multiple witness cases. So these cases are multiple witness, and these witnesses are from different points in – certain counties or certain places like the Illinois and mm-hmm. Wisconsin. <coughs> so these people see them and, and they talk about them obviously. And, and the one with all the police officers, there's multiple ones with, with police officers that have seen them. And these people are, are credible people. These are, these are people who are believed to be honest people. You know what I mean? Why would you give up your, your job as a policeman or, or your, you know what I mean? Credibility in a sense. Why mm-hmm. would you uh, put that on the line to, to make up a fairy fairy tale story, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, they are of unknown origin, and they have flown over populated areas and shown no attempt of hiding themselves. That's right. Which which we kind of touched on briefly back back in the beginning with these three hundred foot long. You know what I mean? Exactly. You can't mm-hmm. hide something that big. Well, yeah, and where do you keep them? That's that's another question. These guys that you know are coming up with the theory of uh, their secret top class, you know, their top secret classified uh, uh, military craft. I mean, so where do you where do you keep these things that are the size of a football field, let alone one if it was a mile wide, like that former governor of Arizona reported in his personal sighting back in 1997. And uh, one of the reasons I really wanted to cover this topic, and and you and I talked about this, is just that. You know, we do have too many cases. We only touched on a few, but there's too many cases where they are flying in restricted airspaces, uh, especially uh, around American military bases. And that is definitely a national security issue, no matter who's making these things, who's flying them. That's a national security issue. And that's why it's important for us to not just brush over this topic. There's just too many reports over too many decades. We really, really are, are being foolish if we don't, you know, at least admit, look, there's something strange flying up there. This is one subset of them, just the triangular, unidentified aerial phenomena that are up there. But I don't think that we can just uh, 
brush it off, you know, or, or downplay this, because you really have to stop and think about what we're saying here. I mean, there are things up there that we supposedly can't match in terms of their technological ability, uh, all those things that we've mentioned. And uh, so if it's not something that America made, you know, our own military secret craft, and if it's not something from any other nation's arsenal of, of weapons and aircraft, then you do have to stop and just think, so what are they and where are they actually from? And that's why if there's nothing else you could take away from this podcast, it would be don't just brush off the possibility, just one possibility of, of an extraterrestrial you know, uh, theory on, on this particular area of uh, triangular UFOs. Uh, I mean, we can't just dismiss that anymore. No more ridicule, no more you know, the constant debunking and making fun of people. I mean, it is a possibility because we're kind of eliminating each of the you know, man-made, made-here-on-earth theories that are you know, being brought up. I mean, I just don't see it. No nation on Earth has come forward and, and demonstrated that they actually have these craft. It's part of their own arsenal of weapons. Nobody has used it in any theater of war. So I, I can't help but step back and just say, all right, that's eliminating a lot of the possibilities and theories here. So we have to kind of be open-minded at the very least and say, we need more research. we got to keep looking at this issue. We need scientists working on this. We need our own military, as they've promised to do now, looking at this more thoroughly, making sure that all the reports from our pilots are being taken seriously and are going to be uh, uh, followed up on professionally and scientifically and thoroughly because it is a little concerning if you think about it. <laughs> Thank God they haven't shown any hostility, whoever is making these things, who is ever flying these things, but they are certainly superior to anything that we know that any nation on Earth has right now. And that's a natural concern, I think, for all of us, national security-wise and aviation safety-wise, both of those areas. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I'm just going to quick go over these last couple topics that you mm -hmm. probably just touched most of them. But um, I want, uh, we want you guys to um, sit on these, and, and if you have an opinion or you have, you know what I mean, whatever you want to say about it, we would like to converse about it, you know what I mean? We want you guys to reach out and, and say, hey, this is what I think about, about this, this is what I think about that. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm just going to hop right into these last couple here. Uh, so they have flown in restricted airspaces, as we've said. Um, it's a national security issue. Um, if they are secret USA aircraft, why are we never using them um, in any war, Persian Gulf, Iraq, Afghanistan? Um, and like Mark said, which is a perfectly good point, uh, where where would the United States be housing these large triangular crafts? Area 51, maybe? Who knows? Possibly. Um, and would the USA fly top-secret experimental craft over populated areas, including areas of in foreign nations? Um, so much for secrecy. Uh, and what about the risk to the citizens of these areas? Um, again, I think that uh, the United States is almost conceited in a way, um, in certain ways. Um, and for them to be flying over these these other countries, it's like, oh, well, you know what I mean? It's just like we don't really care about the safety of these other – and even even flying over here, it's almost like they're neglecting the fact that, that this, is, this could be a safety issue, if that is them, if that is them flying right. these unidentified flying triangles. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that the United States would have – flown experimental craft like those triangular UFO waves in Belgium or in Hudson Valley, New York and Connecticut, you know, in, in the 1980s. I mean, and like we already mentioned, 
how can you keep something top secret or classified when you're flying them so low, often a thousand feet or lower, uh, and so slow, and then letting people get a very good look at these things and then, and then accelerating and taking off, you know, in these, in these incredible fast speeds that have been reported by pilots and by police officers and by so many civilian witnesses on the ground. Uh, none of it makes sense to me. And I don't think the United States would have wanted to, I would hope we wouldn't have wanted to do something like that to one of our allies in NATO, like Belgium. Yeah. Well, in Great Britain, you know, at one point, Great Britain also asked us if we were flying experimental craft. They weren't necessarily triangular, but Great Britain has been pretty transparent with their UFO research over the years, like France and like Belgium. And uh, there was a point, too, where the British actually were asking us if we were flying experimental craft over their country also because they were having uh, waves of UFO sightings, not necessarily triangular, but they were definitely having unidentified flying objects that were of concern to them, both for population centers and, again, uh, near their own military installations. So. I feel like they only reached out to us. Like, they wouldn't think, oh, hey, Russia's flying this stuff over here. You know what I mean? Maybe they did, but, but it, it would make sense to me to only have them reach out to the United States because it, it makes sense that it would be us. Uh, the Belgians, back in that uh, UFO wave, 1989-1991, uh, when the United States did clearly deny that they were flying anything, the Belgians were asking the United States, then, do you think it's possibly the Russians then? That was a concern because we still had the you know the Cold War going to a degree there. And there was certainly... Uh, you know, we do have the NATO alliance because, you know, they are on guard at all times since the end of World War II. And it was a concern of, well, if it's not American, then whose is it? But, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a, but, again, have the Russians ever shown anything? <laughs> Has there been any kind of indication from them that they have these things? They've been involved in some wars since World War II themselves. And, again, you've never seen these craft used by any nation in any of the military conflicts that have occurred over the last so many decades since the end of World War II. So that just raises that red flag in my mind of, Guys, if somebody had these and they've had them for decades, based on all of these reports that have been, you know, been, uh, you know, coming in and, and have been uh, turned into authorities, military or police or civilian, you know, over the decades in all these countries, I, I just don't understand it. I mean, no one has used this. So I'm finding it harder and harder to give any kind of credibility to the fact that it's somehow man-made somewhere on Earth, and we just don't have any evidence showing that any nation has succeeded in doing this up to this time. And that was really the point of this podcast, was to bring up one of those mysteries that we like to look at here in Uncle Mark's Attic, uh, try to give a good overview of it, you know, give a linear history of, of sightings and all that and, and the characteristics of these, of these craft. But the bottom line is it's just one of those mysteries we have in the attic here, and we still don't think it's been solved. We're not jumping on the extraterrestrial hypothesis and saying rule out everything else, but we're going to keep that one open. We want to keep that hypothesis open as a possible explanation for these things since nothing else so far seems to be giving us a good, solid explanation or documentation of what these things are. Yep, and that's that's my, my thing. I, I believe that it's extraterrestrial, but that's just my, my personal opinion. Mark could believe it's whatever, you know what I mean? And same with you guys. We want you to do your own research. We want you to, you know what I mean, think of your own, um, like, theory or whatever, whatever it may be. Or if you agree with ours, that's great. Uh, we'd love to converse with you, like I've said. Um, and that's really the end of our material for today. So It is. Just to make it clear, I, I, I mean, at this point in my life, I would say the extraterrestrial hypothesis is, is the one that I think most likely. But I always try to be an agnostic about these things. I try to say, like, you know, uh, keep looking. Let's, you know, I don't want to say I believe, uh, I, I, you know, in this, that this is definitely the answer. But I do think it's at this time, it's the most li likely the most logical explanation for me, because I seem to have ruled out 
so far, all of the man-made theories, you know, the theories that they're somehow man-made somewhere on this planet, I just, I don't, I just don't see it logically. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. So I do think that's the most logical one, but I'm going to try to keep an open mind and keep looking at this. That's what the addict's all about. We keep looking at mysteries and keep looking at new information as it comes in in the future here, and we try to find out what's going on. But we hope everyone did find this interesting and informative and entertaining to a degree. We don't want anyone to be scared. I mean, we're not trying to, you know, or frighten bo- anybody. Bored. And we certainly don't want you to be bored. That uh, would be that yeah. would be sad. <laughs> I find this stuff interesting and exciting, and we hope you do too. Yeah, we wanna we wanna rack your brains and make you think and make you wanna research and and do your own thing. You know what I mean? And we wanna be entertaining at the same time. So. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, I want to thank you guys for watching. Um, you can reach out to us on our social medias at Uncle Mark's Attic um, on all social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and if you're interested, TikTok. I don't know if we're going to post on there quite yet. But um, for those of you who are listening on Spotify, uh, for if we do find pictures and, and put stuff up, uh, the best way to find it would be our social media. Um, and the people who are watching on YouTube, uh, the best way to help us out right now is to leave a like, subscribe, share with your friends, and that goes for Spotify as well. Share with your friends. Um, let them know. Uh, if they're interested, we'd love to have them here in the attic with us and, and listen to us converse about theories and, and things that we enjoy talking about. Um, we are going to try and come to Apple Podcasts soon. Um, we're I wouldn't say we're not ready, but... Um, we just need to figure out, you know what I mean, the whole logistics of it and all that stuff. But that's that's all I really have for today's episode. Again, thank you guys for watching. Um, Mark, do you want to maybe leave a joke here at the end or no? No, no. <laughs> no joke? <laughs> thank you all very much for watching this, and we do hope you enjoyed it. And I hope we'll see you all again in our next podcast from Uncle Mark's Attic. Okay, what kind of money do aliens use? What? Starbucks. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That was awful. I had to think of something quick. All right, real quick, real quick before I forget. Um, this is our friend. He's our little mascot, um, and we need a name for him, and we would like you guys to name him. Uh, we brought this up in the last episode, but we want to try and get a, enough of a following so we can get more of like a voting system going to pick pick one of the names, like whoever has the most likes or or whatever it may be for his name, I think would be a That's good, good, idea, good yeah. way to judge what his name should be. Um, but, yeah, with that being said, that is everything. Uh Thanks for the third time for watching. (laughs) And uh, we will see you guys in the next episode. Uncle Mark's Attic.